reading today is Job chapter 19, which can be found on page 522. 522. Job 19, starting at the first verse. Then Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me, shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourself above me and use my humiliation against me, then I know that God has wrung me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so that I cannot pass. He has shrouded my path in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears down every side, every side until I am gone. He uproots my hopes like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants can't miss a foreigner. They look upon me as a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me when I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my sin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say, how we will hound him since the root of his trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, all. Job, there are so many words, aren't there, in Job? 
And it's just great that uh, Keith and Nicola brought this picture that belongs to them to us today, which is going to be on the screen as well, I think. This is painted by Penny Foe, some of you will know. And um, it's actually a picture of Job. And this is Job down here. He's the broken pot up here for other people who can see. And then this sharp fork coming in is Satan. The big jug is God. And the three pots over here, what do you think they are? His potty friends, that's right, yeah. And then there's the thorns and the briar coming into his life and the second tears of the pruning that God is doing. And sometimes it can just help to have an image. I'm a great image person. I love looking at images. I was watching Turner last night, the film. Fascinating how people paint with words, as in poets, but also artists can take things of creation and almost throw open a window to God in a new way, as some of the Oasis group shared with Jenny in just some of the art you created. And it's a lovely way in which God communicates to us too. So it's just up here for you as I preach. Perhaps you can look at that rather than listen to me and my words. But perhaps they may intertwine in some way. And both of them come together because we have a God who wants to speak to us. And he obviously gives us his word to do that. So let's pray as we begin. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant Job. We pray now you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you long to give us today, that we too may yearn for our Redeemer's presence through your word and by your Holy Spirit's presence within us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, well done. Some of you are still here, persevering through Job. Very good, coming back. If you're not here but listening online, welcome, as you can download these sermons on the internet, I believe. So if you're listening in your car or wherever, welcome to you. Keep driving. Look where you're going. But anyway, you may not have had a choice, really, because we are preaching on Job during Lent, and I decided that, having listened to God. So here we go. Ten years ago, almost this week, I think it was on the 11th. Yes, it was. It was the 11th. I got a phone call from the police. And they asked me to go to a, pers- a couple in our church to their home. And they asked me to go there because their son had taken his own life, who was just 17, uh, nearly 18. They were planning his 18th birthday. And it's quite a, a, a fearful thing for a minister of God to go into such a place of brokenness, feeling vulnerable, feeling weak, but not worried about how I'm feeling. How on earth am I going to minister into this place? How am I going to be a servant of God in this brokenness? And I went in, and I felt I just had to hold on to them as they trembled, and we wept together. And then I made them a cup of tea with lots of sugar. And then we just sat down in quiet for a while. And then allowed them just to speak. Slowly, some of the shock was released, for he died that morning. Julia Samuel was on Desert Island Discs this week. She's a therapist who works with bereaved people, especially those who've lost a child, just as Job had. And she said this When a child dies, everything you believe is shattered. You trust that the future will be as you expected. Your trust that the future will be as you expected collapses. And rebuilding that trust comes from facing that reality and allowing oneself to feel the pain. Job, 
as we discovered week by week, is on a pilgrimage through grief. And at times, he loses his way. Firstly, there is the silence and shock and numbness for seven days, followed by his lament in chapter 3. Chapter 4 reveals for the first time his anger, through to utter despair in chapters 9 and 10. And if you're reading this, this will be familiar to you as we read through Job. Then we move to chapters 12 and 14, where there's this just sheer terror and the fear of both the absence, but also the presence of an almighty God who would let these things happen to him. And then hope begins to grow by the time, if you're still with us, in chapters 17 to 18, only to be dashed again, like the pot here of Job being dashed and broken. Until we reach chapter 19, where we are today. And Job, whom we're walking through Lent with on the way towards the cross and resurrection, is himself on this journey, you see. He's on a journey up steep mountains and through the valley of grief. He's trying to make all sense of it. And we discover that this journey of grief, though, is also a journey of faith. It's not just about the destination. It's not just about getting in the limousine and going off to chapter 42 straight away with nothing in between. There is a journey to be made, but unfortunately there is no map and there is no nice lady with a sat-nav voice saying, turn left now when you completely lost your way. There appear to be, for Job, no shortcuts. What we discover by the time we reach chapter 19, if you're still with us, everyone, is it takes a long time, this journey. The new atheists would preach to us that suffering erodes faith. When tragedy strikes, the most reasonable thing to do is to abandon God, either by completely ignoring him or writing off his existence altogether. After all, there is such a thing as God. If there is such a thing as God, apparently he's tossed us aside and left us at the mercy of chance, ill winds, or just sheer bad luck, as some people might describe, who have no belief in God. Jeff Lucas writes in his book, Faith in the Fog, yet some of the strongest believers I've ever met have have developed a titanium strength trust in God as they themselves have navigated through awful seasons of suffering. Pain hasn't weakened their grip on God. Rather, it has strengthened it. And Jeff takes us to a prayer found in the clothing of a dead child found in Ravensbrück concentration camp where 90,000 women and children, not men, 90,000 women and their children perished. The prayer is this. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but those also of ill will but do not remember all of the suffering they've inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering, our fellowship, our loyalty, our loyalty one to another, our humility, our courage, the generosity shown to one another, the greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all those fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. 
an inspiring prayer of someone who has made a journey through suffering and yet still trusts in God, is still speaking to God, who will judge all things. So we come back to Job and his suffering, and we're now at his response in chapter 19. And we hope to learn from him as we witness his grief observed. Job's opening response in chapter 19, how long, how long will you torment me, Lord, is in response to Bildad's speech that pushes Job further and further in chapter 18 into a pit of despair and desperation. So in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 19, we see in these verses that Job's patience is beginning to run out. Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn this net around me. And then in verses 7 to 12, Job feels abandoned by God. Though I cry violence, I get no response, none. In verses 13 to 22, Job appeals to his friends to have pity on him. And yet it's in this very rocky, rock-bottom place, the pigsty of the prodigal, that a new revelation comes comes to Job in verses 25 to 27. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. This revelation of God has happened before in chapter 9, verse 33, in chapter 16, verses 19 to 21. And when it happens, it is always when we find Job at his worst at rock bottom, without hope it would seem. For it's not just about the loss of his family or fortune, nor the loss of his health or the sheer frustration that he's now voicing at his friends. His problem is with God. Why has God abandoned him? Why will now God not answer him? And this is his deepest point of need, his need to understand. And then we come to verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and we not need to know and feel where it has come from, like enfolding people who have lost their son, feeling that pain, not avoiding the reality of it, but being with it and being with Job to really understand the depth of where this cry that he knows his Redeemer comes from, that his Redeemer lives, and that he will stand And before we explain what this means, let's just pause a moment. When have you reached rock bottom? When have you reached the pit of despair? When have you been where there seems to be no escape? Perhaps when you were ill, perhaps when somebody has left you, who you trusted. Perhaps when that job that you so desperately wanted never actually came about. I have found it is at these moments that God does his most profound work in me. For faith is deepened in the desert. It's hammered out on the anvil and plunged into the fire of hardship and despair, and yet something new is shaped in the intense heat of these places. 
when my youth worker died while cycling, when my mother went through months of treatment for throat cancer, when a great friend of mine, Simon, diagnosed with cancer at 16, died within three months, the times in ministry where I have found myself alongside sheer pain in others, sheer brokenness, fear, confusion, and utter, utter anguish. We scramble for fixes and solutions. We offer slogans that are simply not true. And in doing so, sometimes we can inflict an even greater harm, almost abuse, by promising that God will heal, God will rescue, God will intervene. And there are times in my ministry when I have seen that happen. When I'm not praying for the person to get well, I'm praying for belief in God that I believe in can do this. That is where my faith is, in God. And sometimes he chooses to heal the person with stomach cancer, and it's gone completely. And then other times it seems he chooses not to. And then we can find in church that it gets worse, when we say we didn't pray enough. Obviously, we didn't pray enough for this person. As if there is some kind of barometer in heaven, a meter, where God sees that, oh, the tipping point hasn't been reached. There are 50 prayers short this week. We won't answer that one. So, Mrs. Smith, you have to stay with what's wrong with you because there aren't enough people praying. Or then, the other line is, we did not have enough faith. The person doesn't have enough faith. One lovely Christian man didn't want to tell his church that he, give, that he had been given a terminal prognosis. Why? Because he didn't want to disappoint the prayer ministry team. So he kept it hidden. He kept it secret. The statistics are impressive. One out of every one people die. Until Jesus returns, none of us are going to get out of this alive. We will lose people we love. I am really sorry. Things will happen to us that are unexplicable. And Job's comforters, we find if we move forward, are rebuked by God for not revealing God's nature. That's what they're rebuked about. And how do we reveal the nature of God when we meet those who've reached rock bottom in the home of grace? The father ran to meet his son, embraced him, kissed him, and put a ring on his finger. May give us a clue. A compassionate father runs to meet his son who has reached rock bottom. No words are expressed. No wordy protestations are made but he is held. He has come home. On Friday, I was called upon to reveal the nature of God to someone I visited, someone in Snow Hill who has nursed their mother 24-7 for five years. Her mother herself was a nurse and had cared for people all her life. I went into the home and was blessed myself by meeting this woman. Her mother had said to her on her deathbed, always have hope, always have hope, always have hope, and hope comes. 
Hope comes in verse 25. Job has a vision of a kinsman redeemer who will stand upon the earth. I know that my redeemer lives. For Christ, he is risen. God himself will take Job's side and put right what is wrong. And Job puts his hope in God. And this is at the core of the whole of Job. It's a book about God. It's not about Job. And it's, what is your core like this morning? What is the core like? My family know that one of my favorite films is The Core. It's a stupid film in a way. But it's about people who go to the center of the earth because the core has stopped spinning. And therefore, the whole earth is going to die unless these people can get to the center of the earth, this big ball of metal, and start it rotating again. It's a thrilling film. You should watch it. And nearly everyone dies in the process so that others might live. It's a film of sacrifice, you see. It's about the core. And Job is about the core. When you get to rock bottom, what is at your core? What is at my core? When I'm holding on to people who are confused and fearful and in pain. Two things. At my core is my redeemer. He puts his hope in the king's kinsman redeemer. Goel in Hebrew. This Goel was your kinsman. So if you lost your property, perhaps fell into slavery, your nearest able-bodied relative was obliged to be your Goel. Your Goel made your difficulties his own. They were his concern, his responsibility. He would pay your debts, restore your life. He would purchase your freedom and he would avenge any injustice that has been done to you. That is what a Goel would do. And the weak could call upon and even expect and even demand redemption through the Goel. For the Goel was bound in a blood covenant relationship to help out. And Job, in the midst of his spiral of grief and despair, lifts his eyes up to heaven and sees God and sees him as Goel. I will see God, he affirms. In all the midst of what he's going through, at the core is still his desire, his yearning to see and see the presence of his Goel, his Redeemer. And we, with hindsight, see him revealed in our brother Goel, Jesus Christ. He is our redeeming relative. We are part of the family. We are part of the body of Christ. And Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 18, go back and read it over lunch, where it says repeatedly, Jesus is our brother. He is our Goel. And because we are family, it's almost as if the writer of the Hebrews is saying, Jesus is obliged and it's his duty. He is bound to take on all our difficulties, all our pain. And at the end, Job knows that God will not let him down. And these words bring comfort and hope to Job. And they have to countless others. I know my Redeemer lives. Is that at your core today? Is that at the very core of your faith and your being? Countless Christians persecuted for their faith. Be that through oppression, be it through suffering or the enemy. Job is all about God. He's at the very core. 
And David Atkinson in his his commentary says, how marvelous that Job could have said so much, knowing so little. And what a rebuke to some of us who know so much more of God than Job ever did, that we trust God so little, that we trust our Goel so little. And Job realizes that he has a redeemer who will vindicate him in the end. His Goel will act, it acts as a signpost on this journey that he's on. It's almost like a beacon in the fog. Peter and I did the coastal path from Minehead right through to Woolacombe. And one time the fog just came down. That's terrifying when you're on the coastal path. One wrong step and boom, farewell. Alas, poor Peter, I knew him well. It is frightening when the fog comes. And for some of you, the fog is here. The Goel will be the one to bring his life through the present confusions and uncertainties. And he will bring it into the glorious presence of God. For God is alive. For Christ, he is arisen. This Saturday... The Times magazine is full of articles about how men can look after themselves. The whole magazine is, is, you know, completely about how men can save themselves. It's called Men. Are men the new women? (laughs) Frightening thought, everybody. Frightening thought. And one of my favorite writers is Robert Crampton. I'm drinking too much, worried about my mum, stressed about my kids, sleep deprived and depressed. And he says here, these past few years, my life has been a bit of a mess. Not a total car crash, not a catastrophe, but not great. After 30 months of sustained self-pity, I was fat, lazy, irritable, and often drunk. This is another way of dealing with pain, you see. His father died four years ago, and he's never addressed the pain. So he drinks. So he is very sad. And this reads like Job. But it says in here as well, to help Robert Crampton, to help other men in this church this morning, you can look after yourself through detox. It's only £3,000 a week. So you get fitter financially as well, obviously, because you lose money. It has ways in which to get fitter, health checks that you need to take at various points in your life. I had no idea the health checks I should be taking at 50. My goodness, it's terrifying. And this is what the world offers as a way of saving us. It offers to redeem us from wrinkles, from fat, from baldness, from tooth decay, from creaking joints and from sloth, and other terrible sins against the spirit of this present age. Job, on the other hand, says this, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes and not another. How my heart yearned within me. His core was with God. In spite of the flesh, in spite of what was wrinkling, a bald, of tooth decay, all these things, his core was rooted in the fact that it was about his Redeemer. That's where his life was focused. And as well as providing the Redeemer in his own Son, God gives to us, as Jesus promised he would, the Holy Spirit. It is the power of God poured into us for such a time as this. When Margaret Tews was dying, 
and before after her stroke. Some of us read Pilgrim's Progress to us. And Dennis Lennon, in his wonderful book on Job, writes this from, Bunyan's, from Pilgrim's Progress. Then I saw in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a place where was a fire burning against a wall and one standing by it, always casting much water upon it to quench it. Yet did the fire burn higher and hotter? Then said Christian, what means this? So he had him about to the backside of the wall where he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand, of the which he did also continually cast, but secretly into the fire. The Holy Spirit is given to us to fulfill the promise that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a clear way out so that you can stand up under it. Job must make his difficult journey, but God will never allow this experience to crush him. Why? Because at the core of Job is the knowledge of his Redeemer, who will stand upon the earth. And we have the knowledge of Christ who has stood upon the earth, who died upon the cross, who rose again from the dead, who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for us, for you, at your deepest point of need. And not only that, he pours his Holy Spirit into us. I want to encourage us this morning to not just try and escape what we are facing, but join Job on his pilgrimage and to invite the Holy Spirit into the very place that we feel most abandoned by God. Cry out to him to come and strengthen your core this morning. Cry out to him to increase your belief and faith in him as your redeemer, a brother whose duty it is to help you. He will take on what you yourself cannot carry. For a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. And invite him to rebuild your life. Don't get the time supplement. But ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you a fresh vision of God as he did for Job as he did for St. Paul, who writes of all his calamities, but says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day by day. Why? Because of our Redeemer at the core and the fuel of the anointing of the oil of the Holy Spirit, who he pours into our life when the flames are so high, but the power of God, the power of God pours into you to meet you at your deepest point of need. As we sing now, before lunch, we're gonna be fueled with fuel we can have a lovely Mike's Munch, some of us together. Others will go to their homes, take out their food. But I ask you this morning, and obviously none of you need to do this really, because your core is so strong, your core is so secure. But I simply invite you to come 
and have a very simple prayer prayed over you that your core, your faith in your Redeemer would be strengthened and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the world needs to know that the Redeemer is in you. And at this moment, you stand upon the earth for him. And you may meet a woman who's been caring for someone for five years and is exhausted. You yourself may need to be filled afresh for the journey you are making. It's all about God, Job. Please don't do this on your own. Please come and meet your Redeemer and be filled.